Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings. Here we are back. Russell and Hugh, the Nonprofit Exchange. And this time, it's something Russell and I have been wrestling with, Russell, for a while. And we've looked for a spot. We've had so many great guests, it's been hard to find a spot for us to do this. But we wanted to, at least once or twice a year, highlight some great books. And some of these books are from our guests, and some are not. So we've got we got a six books for you today. It's, it's a, the top five and a bonus book. So Russell, why don't you tell them, well, greetings, Russell. I want to say hi first. Well, greetings and, and welcome uh, all of our friends out there on Facebook and everywhere. Thank you for joining us. And uh, it's a great day. I, have, I, I'm just moved by all of the birthday messages that have come in for me today. As I enter a new chapter, I want to shout out to today? all of Today, today, <laughs> today's the day. I want to give a shout out to all of all of the wonderful people. You know, business associates, family, friends. Thank you very much. It's been a good journey, and it's better because of you. And it's great for all of you people to join us here every week to support the nonprofit exchange. Hooray! 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 Well, congratulations. Uh, we'll try not to embarrass you today. So um, you got three books and I got three books, and we're going to share a little bit about each book and a brief synopsis. It's not meant to be a thorough book review, but it's uh, Hugh and Russ lifting out reasons that you should try to read this book. And Russell, while we were queuing up, you were talking about Leaders Read. you want to say a little more about that? Well, you know, that's a part of a growing organization and transformational leaders always evolve. And they set the table so that people that are in the organizations can evolve. And personal development is one of the reasons that people might volunteer with you or serve on your board uh, because you're either growing or you're going backward. Uh, some would go as far as to say you're either growing or dying. And so it's really important to increase that knowledge base. And what I've discovered is I learn more about what I don't know every day and uh, but that's perfectly all right. And uh, we want to bring you these resources. Uh, we'd like to make it a regular segment. Uh, many of our guests uh, have come on with, with books. And so uh, we want to talk to them again. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Oprah Winfrey really did it well with her book club. You know, maybe some of these people we can bring back to talk about their books because there's so much fascinating literature out there. But we've got six pretty good picks for them today, right, Hugh? We do. And the other part about Leaders Read, I listen to a lot of podcasts like you probably do, but our friend Ken Courtright has one called um, um, Growing Your Business Today. Uh, so he says he reads a book with a highlighter. And then when he goes back and reads it again, he uses a different color highlighter. And he said... I highlight different things because I'm ready to learn the next thing. I find that to be so very true. And there's a lot of challenges. So we're going to highlight um, six and then maybe in a few months, but depending on the comments from our listeners, we'll highlight some more. 
So let's list the books, get people's interest up. So what are your three, and then I'll share my three. Well, I've got three great ones. The first one is Asking Rights by Tom uh, Rouser. Uh, he wrote a book before that called uh, uh, Return on uh, Investment for Nonprofits, ROI for Nonprofits. Second book is the, the Guide to Proposal Writing from the Foundation Center. It's a classic. It's a staple. It is the book on writing grants, and there are a lot out there, but this one is pretty powerful. And then, because everybody loves numbers so much, I've got a wonderful book by Mark Mullen called The Nonprofit Budget Builder Toolkit, because everybody just loves those numbers so much. That is awesome. And mine are more generic. Um, we, we teach nonprofit leaders to install really good business practices in their organization. So the first one is Brand Twist by Julie Cotino. We had as a guest a while back. And that, that's about who we are, identify, it's our identity and our promise to, to people. And that's a, it's good for nonprofits to think about that. And I, I don't guess many do that I've, I've ever known. The second one is um, a good book by my leadership coach and has been our guest, uh, Roberta Gilbert. And it's on the, the whole leadership methodology by uh, psychologist, psychiatrist, Murray Bowen, MD. And it's called Extraordinary Relationships. And it's the anchor, anchor for us knowing ourselves. And then the third one, I'm, I'm in Virginia, not today, but I live in Virginia and up the road from me is Wise where Napoleon Hill grew up and there's the Napoleon Hill Foundation. And a couple years ago, we had uh, Don Green, who's the executive of Napoleon Hill Foundation. And I don't know about you, Russell, but I, I find over and over and over again that nonprofit leaders never heard of the work of Napoleon Hill who interviewed 500 of the top leaders in the world and created this whole methodology. So those are the three. So why, which one do you want to start with? Pick one of those awesome books. Well, you know, I'm going to jump right into Asking Rights by Tom Rouser. Uh, and one of the questions uh, that people uh, should answer in that, why should I give you money? It was posed to him very early in his career. Uh, and, you know, it's that view of, of uh, how do you view the people that fund you? And Tom's premise is that you know, what you really have are investors. I know a lot of people think of donors. Donors are investors. They're people that are partnering with you to make an impact. And so... Um, when you look at, at monies that people contribute to you, or talent, there's time, there's talent, there's treasure. And when people contribute one of these three things or a combination of them, they're making an investment on you and they're betting on your team. What is it that you can do, you know? So you've got different groups of investors. Donors are just a, one of the types of investors. Uh, you have different funders that, that might be pure investors. It could be people that are funding you through grants, could be sponsors, uh, and you could have membership if you're a membership type organization. Those are people that invest uh, in you, you know. 
Uh, so when it comes to, to funding a nonprofit, what matters is not what the nonprofit themselves think. It's the, what is it that people are getting? What, you know, what do the people who are writing the checks think about what it is that you're doing? They're investing in you. What do the people that are getting the services think? So it's it's not about us. We've always got to have an eye toward whether we're making a you know making a profit. And I know profit sounds like a dirty word, but Tom talks of it in terms of a return, a return on an investment, and that's what uh, what people that bank on us are looking at. They're looking at what that return is, you know. Uh, so they contribute. They help help us keep our doors open as nonprofits. Yeah. You know. Um. So his book, this book, is really uh, about more how to successfully fund a nonprofit, and he's talking about a lot of different uh, areas, and he's talking about sustainable funding. So it's important to capture the ideas of what value means to the different audiences that you have. From this perspective and asking rights, it's about the people that invest in you. You know, how do you sustain that? What are the different funding pathways? What are you open to in terms of learning, uh, in terms of growing, uh, and thinking about what's important to the people that are writing these checks? So that's important to look at the view from the other side of the desk. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's a corporation or a foundation, everybody's got their motivations. So it's looking at that to figure out what's important. And he spent quite a time doing this. When he wrote ROI for nonprofits, uh, he had looked at a lot of these areas. But from the point that he wrote that, this, the, that book to the point that he wrote this one, he made some other discoveries along the way in terms of, you know, what, what makes people fundraising ready. Uh, and so he had criteria. Uh, he's a consultant, a nonprofit consultant that helps people raise more money. He's got a 20-question list of criteria that he uses to determine if an organization is ready. Uh, if they can't check off on all 20 areas, he won't take their money. Yeah, he'll talk to them about which of the areas need to be shored up and go back to doing that. So this book talks about those 20 areas, which are important to uh, fundraisers and, and uh, establishing that value that you bring. So this is a very good book to read. And I think when we sit down, we look at the value that we give people who are constituents of ours as a nonprofit. You, you have the people that directly get the benefits. You have those that write the checks that pay for them. That could be corporations, foundations, government entities, social entrepreneurs, donors. There's all sorts of different people that write a check. So each of these different groups have a, a little bit different set of values or perspective on what's important. And what he's talking about here is understanding that and not changing who you are, but explaining in your own language how you're bringing value 
and, and incorporating what matters to them because it's, it's not necessarily about us if we're, if we're doing services for people. So this is a very good book. Uh, take a few hours to read. And it, yes, this is one you get the highlighter for. There's lots of, uh, lots of things to think about and consider and, and periodically go back to it and look at some of these things to remind yourself what are some of the questions we, we should be asking and uh, are we going to the people that make sense? If somebody says, what gives you the right to ask us for money, if you got all the building blocks in place, it'll be pretty clear. And this book will give you loads of building blocks. Russell is the, uh, the funding guru. He asks the questions that other people don't ask. And, and some of uh, what your methodology is, Russell, is coming out through what, you're, what you've picked out of this book. You know, what do people who are potential funders, what do they want to see? Um, and you take it even to the board. What do board members want to get out of this? And so that's real important. Share with us um, some of your disciplines for reading books. You, you have an uh, extensive library, and when I talk to you, you quote books. And very often in this interview, you quote different books or refer to different books. What is your discipline? You read every day, you read a certain time a week, or what, what do you do? You know, I don't know if you remember back uh, back uh, when our auto industry sort of started having hiccups and we were talking about the concept of just-in-time learning. And, uh, you know, I, I found all sorts of fascinating stuff on interest areas. Uh, I get uh, a number of services, and uh, I'm always looking at, at, at books because uh, it's really important to be open to learning on the fly and increasing my knowledge base on nonprofits has always been important. New developments take place, thinking shifts, and it's really important to do that. So I, I continue to collect books. I, I have library cards in two counties. The public library is the best investment running for our tax dollars. And I'm always on the lookout for new articles, new information, new books, and, you know, just the cross-pollination of ideas across different publications and books. And so, yeah, I've run across great TED Talks, and there's just so much out there. The world is our oyster now, thanks to technology, which is aggravating when it doesn't work, but a thing of beauty when it does. And I'm constantly learning. I, you know, really readers lead, and I've always got my nose in the book, and I'm looking at things. I highlight. I can highlight on the computer. Uh, I read with pens and, and highlighters. There are a lot of notes in the margin of my hard copies. <laughs> Some of them are a little dog-eared, but uh, and I like to read a lot of books on learning. So, I mean, those are some I can highlight, too, uh, as we go along and as we're building the resource area. And we'd love to hear about what some of you folks out there who tune in are reading. Uh, all of you in the community, what are you reading? What do you want to know more about? We're always open to that and uh, finding new resources. And that's what the community is all about. It's about sharing that knowledge base and all of those wonderful resources that are out there. 
because now there's so much information flying at us from all directions that uh, where do we start? People don't need more information. They need somebody to help them carve out the most important pieces and assemble it in a way that's going to get them where they need to go. And so that's one of the things I pride myself on being able to do as a possibility engineer. Possibility engineer. The um, podcast is supported by, by uh, sponsors. We're, we're, we're mentioning the sponsor today is Center Vision's online community for community builders that Russell just mentioned. And if you go to the nonprofitexchange.org, it'll take you to the nonprofit exchange page um, on the community. There's a blue button. Click and join. There's a place for discussions, forums. You can comment on the page where this podcast is. You can view it. You can subscribe on uh, Stitcher or iTunes and get the live feed on your phone for this. And, and Russell's one of the presenters at our Leadership Empowerment Symposium. And the ones coming up will be in West Palm Beach, Florida. And it's uh, le leadershipwestpalm.org. Leadership West Palm, like in West Palm Beach. Leadershipwestpalm.org. No, no beach or no Florida, just Leadership West Palm. That'll take you to the page for that event. And then a month later, uh, orlandoleadership.live. Orlandoleadership.live. And if you can't make it in person, you can register and watch us on live stream. We've just added that feature for these robust events. So we're, we're pulling out the stops. We're doing some really great stuff. And uh, Russell is, is one of the anchor presenters. Uh, we call ourselves Wayfinders. So we've spent a lot of time on the introduction. I better get on to the next book so we have time. We've interviewed Julie Cookno, and her, her book is Brand Twist. She, um, she's a branding specialist. She was uh, charge of North American branding for uh, Virgin Airlines and, and, and a number of other really big deals. Now she does her own brand. And the Brand Twist book is available on, on Amazon. And I think the name of it is, is not just that, it's called Twist, How Fresh Perspectives Build Breakthrough Brands. And she's got this color theme that goes throughout it. And I think um, Twist is mentioned on about every page of her book. And there's lots of the color, color throughout. So I ask her, what, what, um, what are the top three branding mistakes that people made. She said, well, that's hard to keep it to three, but you <laughs> can grow to four. And so when she said that mistakes that nonprofits are making, first one that we were just about talking about, not really, we talked about the, the logo, not really understanding what a brand is, in fact, confusing your brand with your marketing. That's a big mistake. Your marketing is how you get your message out there. Your branding is your fundamental story. What are you about? Why should people care? All great stories. If we think about our favorite movies and books, they have a twist. This, this thing of twist, she develops in the book. I can tell you all about it. You get the book and you, I couldn't put it down when, when, when I got it. Well, uh, you could build my nonprofit twist. That's what you want to do. If I only had 10 times the budget, people say, that's the, <laughs> that's the big, big mistake. Stop saying that. I, I could throw 20 times the marketing budget at you, but if your brand 
isn't in shape, your fundamental story of who you are, who you serve, and what's different about you, then it's a waste of money. And then she goes on to say that your brand is not your logo. Your brand is your fundamental story. I meet so many nonprofits, oh, here's my brand, and they show me this logo. Well, no, that's a representation of your brand. So your brand is represented um, by your logo. That's one way it's represented. The most important of your brand is your brand promise. Um, and Julie has what's called a brand school. And people go through her brand school. It's a live event. And you do nuts and bolts of branding. So um, it's people we've, on her website, thebrandtwist.com, um, the, the Nike logo, just do it, isn't about sneakers. It's about their story. So we, we go through the book and talk in the interview on, on the podcast. We talk about her points about branding, but it's really a course on branding. And when you go to her website, um, she offers you an evaluation of your brand. Um, so that uh, it's called brandtwist.com, brandtwist.com. And so she'll do an evaluation, but the book, it, it, it helped me understand all that stuff I was doing wrong, Russell. You know, I got a pretty looking logo, but that is not my brand. The other part of brand that we work with is, is the culture and leadership. Everybody on your board, everybody in your organization represents that brand. We've heard of airlines dragging people off seats. Well, that one event, by one person did enormous brand damage. As our guest uh, Corbin, David Corbin said, um, that was brand slaughter. And next time we'll interview, we'll uh, review his book. It's a, whoa, it's a, out there, makes you think about it really seriously. Brand slaughter is what happens when people misbehave or act out of brand promise. They, they create a different image and really have damaged your brand. So. I recommend brand at twist. It's just called twist, but it's brandtwist.com. You can find more about it and you can find where to get it on the site. So Russell, back to you. Well, yes. And she said that your twist is your most important tool. So there's a lot in there and the questionnaire is brilliant. So that's a great book to, to look at. The second book that I was looking at was the, uh, the, the, uh, the Foundation Center Guide to, to uh, Proposal Writing, which is really sort of a, it's a staple for anybody that writes grants. They wrote the book on that. They're probably the both best source, bar none, for information on foundations and uh, corporate programs that are um, out there and what they're doing. And they talk you through some strategies for uh, working on your proposal and some activities outside of the proposal itself, things that you need to consider uh, while you're putting these proposals together. Uh, but the, the main gist and the meat and potatoes of what they offer, and there are loads of examples of successful proposals that have been submitted where they show you these particular areas of the proposal that they're talking about. So for, for grants, you, you want to make sure you have all of the parts out there. You want to have your credible programs 
And of course, there are elements to show that you're ready for funding that they address out there, that you have all of your correct structures in place, you're clear on your mission, vision, values, uh, all of these things. And then they roll into the various parts of uh, the proposal. Uh, one being the executive summary. And so the executive summary is really sort of the highlight. It's the highlight reel for your proposal. Uh, it's the piece that you would want to write last because it really uh, drills down into what it is that you're doing. So you want to be clear on that. But it has different pieces in it. So what you're looking at in that executive summary, and you want to highlight the whole uh, enchilada, so to speak. So what's the problem that you're solving? Uh, then you describe your solution, how much you need, uh, your organization, its key assets and people, uh, and you write this last. So that's the, the first piece, the executive summary, which, uh, like I said, you write last. Uh, the statement of need is the place that comes next, you know. Uh, it should be short and persuasive, as short as you can make it and persuasive without taking anything away from what you're trying to do. Uh, you provide information that sort of supports your cause, your business case, any relevant information like business stats. Um, you collect the best sources of information in that statement of need. What's going to help you make that case? And what type of information are you gathering? Are you focused on the numerical stuff or quantitative stuff? Or are you focused on qualitative? And so uh, um, you used for building that need statement, find the most authoritative and most recent sources of information that you can find so that it adds strength to your proposal. The project description will be the longest piece of it. Project description or your approach to what you're going to do. So what you keep in the project description is your objectives. What are the measurable targets you're trying to reach? Uh, what are the methods you're going to use to actually get there? Uh, what do you need in terms of staffing and administration? Uh, and then the next piece is evaluation. How do you know what you're doing is successful? Are you getting the work done? Uh, then finally, you address the sustainability piece. Is this going to be an ongoing project? Or how are we going to be able to keep this project rolling after the funding uh, piece is, is gone? Uh, the next piece is the evaluation. Uh, and that, that really kind of gets an area all to itself because this is where measures are important. And the view that a lot of people take of the evaluation piece of the puzzle is that, oh, well, you know, we've got to check these boxes just to make the funder happy. Uh, it's a necessary evil. Uh, but the proper view, in my estimation, is really to think of it as a way to figure out what's working, what's not working, how can we get better at what we do, What's going on out there? What have we learned based on the research that we've done? And can we create our own measures? Because if you don't create your own, other people are going to create them for you. So in being unique and doing something unique, uh, the measures that you have in mind may not fit exactly. 
The other thing to keep in mind is can my people use them? Can we employ them out in the field? Is it going to be something that's going to be useful uh, in the field for the people that are delivering services? That's a good place to collect information if it makes sense. But the, the key is it all depends on the funder. You know, when you read uh, a request for proposal, this is the, the funding agency's uh, description of what they want to accomplish with their investments. So they set some standards and some criteria, but you want to see if that's something that's in alignment with what you do. But you determine the level and type of evaluation that's needed. Uh, you determine whether the evaluation is on a product that you create. Maybe you're creating a program or a course or something that moves people to a different place, or maybe it's a process. So you have to decide, okay, am I evaluating a program or process or a piece of both? Uh, then there's what we call quantitative data, that's numerical-based data. Uh, we've got qualitative data that may be based on uh, talking with people through third-party evaluations, questionnaires. Um, it should be linear uh, when you talk about evaluation from the start of the project to the end of the project. So the evaluation should take place all the way through. Uh, when you start off, you should have a vision for where you want people to go. Uh, the professional term for that would be like a theory of change. Uh, what's going to happen as the result of people taking advantage of this program that we're offering, where is it going to move them to? Uh, and then, you know, it's really a question of funder preferences. So you can do this evaluation in-house or maybe you bring in somebody that's third party. A lot of different things make sense. And they also talk about the budget, you know. Of course, your budget ought to be aligned and matched with your objective, objectives. Uh, it should be reasonable based on the work that you do. And there are a lot of expenses that come in there. You want to measure those expenses, whether they're new costs or ongoing costs, if they're direct or indirect, uh, and then what, what sort of revenue sources are you having? Here they talk more about other things because the proposal is to get revenue. But when you're making a budget, you really want to think about revenue because not only will you be addressing the budget for the project, uh, most of the time when you when you write a proposal, they want to see the budget for the entire organization so that they can look at how your project fits in uh, with the overall budget. You know, uh, are, are they going to be the only people contributing money or how does the money that uh, you're requesting from them fit in with all of the rest of your projects, programs, and how it fits into your overall strategy. So it's all about tying the strategy pieces together. you got to have that in there. That's very critical. But this is probably the only book you'll ever need. Of course, me being me, I just I read all sorts of things on there. But you'd be hard-pressed to find a better book better than this one that explains to you the process of writing grants and how you go through it. Awesome, awesome, and that's your your sweet spot, your your um, area of expertise and experience. Um, so, um, I teach transformational leadership, uh, as I'm sure you do, and um, there's there's a there's two fundamental 
methodologies that, that we rally around at Center Vision. Transformational leadership is the, it's like the culture of an orchestra or choir. It's a musical ensemble. It functions at a higher level. And in order for that to happen, the leader must function up. So the, the orchestra is a reflection of a conductor and the board and the organization we lead is a reflection of our leadership as a leader. And oftentimes leaders complain about their boards uh, and not functioning in the, in the manner they would expect them to, or maybe even that the board itself expects them to function. And so I, I typically ask, well, what is your role in that? And people look at me like I'm crazy. What's the well, no, you look in the mirror. If a doctor doesn't get the sound we want, we start looking at what we're doing. Because what they see is what, what what they see is what I get. So they respond to to me as a conductor. And and so to be an effective transformational leader, um, and there's other books we can by Burns and Bass we can we can review. They're long dead, we can't interview them. So is Mary Bowen. We're gonna talk about Bowen systems and my coach is Roberta Gilbert, and she has a number of books on Bowen systems. She's also a psychiatrist in the, and has written um, books about Mary Bowen's methodology. And it's still called Bowen Family Systems, and there's a Bowen Institute at Georgetown University. And it's over in the Beltway. I'm not sure if it's Virginia or, or Maryland. I think it's in Virginia. So <clears throat> I think it's in Fairfax, actually. So it's, it's a methodology still, still unfolding. People meet, write papers, study, go in methodology. So trans, um, transformational leadership is dependent on the leader stepping up and Bowen systems is how leaders step up. So those two methodologies are compatible. And I'm still after 12 years uh, working with Roberta as my personal coach. And I continue to read her books over and over. And, my wife and I have been through this together and we, we share things and we learn from each other and we learn from experiences. And so learning something and living with it for a period of time has maximum impact. I would say if you're leading a church or nonprofit, you can't do it without this book, this methodology. You cannot be the leader you were created to be without knowing yourself. And it's studying ourselves from our family of origin. So in the book, she talks about Murray Bowen's heritage, what led him from family therapy to, to doing this, this leadership research. And then she talks about herself and her journey and her work as, as a colleague of Murray Bowen. And now she's a purist. She teaches exact Bowen theory. There are other people that have rewritten it for their purpose in their books. Um, that's okay. I've rewritten transformational leadership in my books um, as a conductor transforms cultures. So ultimately, leaders transform cultures, transform teams. It begins with self-transformation. And so extraordinary leadership helps you understand yourself. And it's scary, Russell. When I first started this, I'd already written my books, already defined methodology. And I thought, well, everything's working well. Why do I need to study something else? And my wife said, I'm going. So I said, oh, I guess I better go. Just find out what it's about. It took me a whole year to get my head around this. Um, I'm a slow learner, but I was I was too blind with what I was already doing. And all, all of a sudden dawned on me, I could be a better leader if I would embrace this and I would be able to transform myself in a more appropriate and direct way. Nothing fast, but this is more permanent. And, and over time, we continue to learn. So in her book, 
she talks about the eight concepts of Bowen systems. You know, it starts out with triangles, the basic building blocks of, of human relationships, three people. They're neither bad nor good, they're neutral. But if there's anxiety, it goes around the triangle. If there's a power play, one person takes a power position in the triangle. So when you start seeing things out of balance, start looking at where the triangles are and the overlapping triangles. Uh, the second one is differentiation of self. Who are we? Have we defined our principles for decision-making? Uh, our principles define how we're going to make decisions. If I'm in the face of conflict, I stay calm and approach the conflict openly and directly, stick to the facts. Before this, I avoided conflict and it got worse. So basic self is adhering to our fundamental guiding principles. And pseudo self is when we make a decision to please somebody, which is not a good choice. They never, they never are pleased, but they you tend to irritate your, them and everybody else when you cave in to what other people are pushing you to do. Differentiation of self is how we're not fused with our spouse, with our best friend, with our parents, with our dead parents, that we cease to be an individual. So fusion is where we act in a manner that's we think the other person wants us to act and we can't break out of that. Um, so there's, there's the multi-generational transmission process. I'm <clears throat> the son of accountant, CPA, the son of the CPA, so I broke the thread. I'm not a CPA. It's very linear, debit, credit, good, bad, right? My mom was not linear. What am I? I'm a mixture of both, a conductor, a musician. It's rigid structure, got to be free and creative without breaking the rules. So multi-generational transmission process, when I visit the graveyard in the little town where my mom was when I was born, I could see Hugh McPherson's, my middle name's McPherson, and hear the stories multi-generations and I learn about myself. And it's not bad or good, it's just learn about self. And then there's family generation process and there's, there's, there's a number of, there's, there's a number of, of, of principles, concepts that Bowen Bowen identifies and he, and he teaches the concepts. The, the last one is, is um, societal degeneration. It's, it's, you know, we're seeing that one play out. He didn't finish writing, writing that one. Sibling position, I'm the oldest brother of brothers. Very distinct. He didn't start this, but he, he did more research about how do we know ourselves based on our family of origin. So there's, there's, there's family generation process, and then there's there's differentiation of self, which is basically, I said that before, but it's basically what it's all about. Who are we and how do we show up? And we really show up like we did in our family of origin, so does everybody else. So this helps us understand other people. We don't correct other people. We don't type them, we don't categorize them. We try to understand them and we observe behaviors. And that helps us observe without, without getting it on you. So uh, everything, here's a couple of Bowen quotes. That which is created in the relationship can be fixed in the relationship. You have inherited a lifetime of tribulation. Everybody has inherited it. Take it over. Take the most of it. And when you have decided you know the right way, do the best you can with it. So I said the basic over-functioning. I meet leaders that say, here's the goals, here's how you get the goals, go to work. Well, they tell people everything to do. That's a form of over-functioning. Never do for someone else what they can do for themselves. 
Oh, but I ought to be willing to do stuff that I ask other people to do. The key word is willing. Every time you do something, you rob a volunteer of an opportunity to do something they want to do. And back to Russell's premise earlier, find out what people want and then let them do it. And this is the antithesis of Freud. When you see a Freud therapist, he's, he or she says, how does that make you feel? Well, Bowen says, it's okay to have empathy, but get out of it quickly. Feeling decisions are faulty decisions. Thinking decisions are well-grounded, principle-based decisions. So the goal is to rise up out of the emotional togetherness that finds us all. So we need to, we need to calm down and, and be in control of ourselves, being calm and present. And he says, the history of calming down, in the history of calming down, has anyone ever calmed down by being told to calm down? So there's a lot of little gems, and she quotes uh, she quotes Bowen in every chapter. So I've given you some of the concepts, given you a few quotes. I think it's an essential book for leaders who want to step up their game and become a much better leader. So Russell, what do you think of that? You know, that's an essential part. And I went through the transformational leadership uh, program on my journey to becoming a wayfinder. And I had never heard of Mary Bowen, but when I read this book, it was an eye-opener. The idea that, that all of these uh, inputs from the family and positioning and all, of, it was just completely foreign to me. And I had no idea. And these are things that were driving behavior under the surface. So transformational leadership is a whole area. It's a whole course in itself. But there, there are five types of, of, of behaviors and standards that transformational leaders uh, set or attributes. They're, they're charismatic in their behavior, uh, inspirational, uh, intellectually stimulating. They love to teach and help people grow. Very considerate of individuals, and they are real. Very authentic. Authenticity is that fifth piece. So this is something that'll be great for you to read. It'll help you up your leadership game. And we'll be talking about that in Florida next month and in September, you know, leading with influence. And, and leaders are influencers. They don't necessarily do everything, but they make sure that things get done. So what's the next book? All right. Well, knowing, as I said before, how much people uh, uh, love numbers, uh, the next book is the Nonprofit Budget Builder Toolkit by Mark Mullen. And he wrote this a few years ago, but this book really talks about how to, how to build the budget and what some of the things are that you need to consider. It's not just about... Uh, uh, expenses, you've got a lot of revenues, you've got a lot of different types of budgets. And uh, so it can be confusing to put together a budget for a nonprofit. And a lot of people uh, don't always understand what their costs are. So this book will help walk you through the purpose of a budget, you know, it'll give you a great overview of a budget. Uh, talk about the types of budgets, you know, you can have a, a traditional or a zero-based budget. And zero-based is going to come from not having any uh, history. But they talk about the different categories uh, of funding. You've got discretionary, non, 
uh, discretionary. Uh, you have restricted incomes. You've got others that are uh, unrestricted. So every year you're going to be looking at the process of budgeting. And if you have something that is a rolling budget, which is tied to all of your goals, your objectives, your budget should be tied to that. Uh, and it helps build accountability because you're not just looking at the other things that you're evaluating, but money comes into play too. Uh, so it shows people what they're getting for their investment, you know. Uh, sometimes in a perfect world, you do your budget, it stays the same. But things happen, so you have to revise it on the ground. The key is to have a process for, for working a budget. And this book is very good at giving you a process for doing that. It'll also talk about some of the work you need to do up front. Uh, so if you got, you really want to have a good accountant, a professional accountant, because a lot of things are driven out of your chart of accounts. So your chart of accounts defines uh, everything that comes in and goes out. You should have a way to define everything that comes in and everything that goes out. Your chart of accounts is where you do that. And then they talk about general, uh, general accounts, the types of accounts, asset, liability accounts, equity, income, and expense. So there is a little bit of accounting uh, around it. Uh, they talk about accounting methods and, and advantages and disadvantages of the different methods. But making sure if, you're, if you have an accountant, a professional accountant on staff, that's great. Uh, but there are full-charge bookkeepers all the way through certified public accountants and other accountants that you can engage, fractional chief financial officers. There's other ways to have people to help you measure. But it's really important to keep track of everything. Uh, so, you know, what's recommended in here is what we call a rolling budget. So you have a projection for what you're going to have come in with the timing of it. And then there's what actually comes in and goes out. So by building this history of what you project and what actually comes in and goes out, you start getting a little bit better. You start recognizing what sorts of things can drive costs or what sorts of things can drive revenue. And you start to assess your program performance using these things. So it's all about uh, uh, how you do it. And there are a number of different types of, of revenue that go into a, a nonprofit. So uh, your, your programs, you have a block of programs. Some are profitable, others are not. But they talk about how to classify them. Uh, and that's really important. So you have an operational budget, which is uh, your forecast for your services, your operating expense, uh, your fundraising budget you know, and your budgeted statement of financial activities. Then you had a financial budget, which has your cash flow, your debt service, uh, investments, uh, and then the budgeted statement of financial position, your balance sheet. So uh, these are the working pieces. This is a really good product, though, because it explains uh, briefly but in good detail what all of these items are and how they actually fit into what you're doing. And it also talks to you about how to create budgets for specific things. 
I built uh, a lot of some of the models out of here into the fundraising course that I put together. But having a good budget process is important. Having people on your board and uh, on staff that understand uh, budgeting is really good. And one of the items in here that uh, some people may have issue with is what we call, uh, it's an operating reserve fund. It's a, it's a cash reserve. Uh, the common term for it is surplus. It's actually having money left over at the end of the year. Now, this is just a no-brainer for people that are running businesses, but uh, a lot of folks in nonprofit circles don't really think about that because the business term for it is profit. And let me tell you, it's great to have that. You need that rainy day fund. You want to try to work that in because things can shift, particularly if you're dealing with government funding. Even with corporate funding, the economy can change. So you want to be prepared for any shifts that might take place and have some revenue to operate in in any unforeseen circumstances. One that we've seen a lot of over the last couple of years is weather. You, you have a weather event that throws everything in your community off. How are you going to be able to reopen your doors? So having a surplus is really important. Uh, what about long-term things? You, know, you may need to replace furniture, equipment, all, vehicles, all of these things wear out. So you want to have a capital budget for any large purchases that you're going to make or repairs to your building, uh, getting equipment. You never know what sort of things you're going to need. So this particular publication walks you through all of that. You prepare a master budget and then uh, program budgets. Everything needs to be tied into your strategic plan. So you have operating and financial budgets that are there. This is a wonderful book because there are a lot of there are a lot of uh, graphics in it. So that, you know you have charts, uh, show don't tell, so you can see the flow through there, and all of the information is easy to understand. And uh, if you've got a financial professional accountant to help you through this process, that's even better. But your budget should be tied to all of your activities. Uh, wise words indeed, and I find lots of deficits. So we got perfect amount of time for the last book, and we the top top five. Here's the bonus book, and it's not anybody. We did interview um, Don Green at the Napoleon Hill Center, and so this is an indirect. Uh, he he has published some of Napoleon Hill's unpublished writings, and there are quite a few of them. So, um, you know, you and I have been at CEO Space when the leadership guru, Bob Proctor, carries the book out, reads it every day. And uh, I think it's staying in tune with the philosophy. Jim Rohn uh, taught, said there were three books that you ought to have in your library. Uh, Think and Grow Rich, As a Man Thinketh, and the Bible. They were collections of wisdom. And so Napoleon Hill is Think and Grow Rich. It's a collection of his uh, philosophies of achievement, his laws of success. And he lists the attributes of wealth <clears throat> and money is the last one. I think there's 13 attributes because he said it's the least important. Um, it's, it, we put down money, we think of it 
as as not necessary in the nonprofit world because of the nonprofit word. It's like trying to run a car. You build a car and have no gas for the car. So the my analogy is the the money is the gas for the car, and we're not getting rich. We're we're building um, assets that are they're the backbone of our of our sustainability and our legacy. We're doing something that'll last after we're gone. Uh, so you read. I think it's chapter two, there's the attributes for success. Have a definite purpose, do something good, brings value to humankind, keep a positive mental attitude and surround yourself with successful people. And I find Russell that there's many people in the work of charities that have never heard of Napoleon Hill and his writings. I think there's a companion book, he did a radio show for years and there's a book called Napoleon Hill on the Air that has been recently released. Uh, but you can get on Audible, you can get the uh, him, the audio recordings of him him doing these. These are trans the Napoleon Hill on the Air is a transcription of his interviews. But he's talking about the laws of success and giving examples. And the interviewer asks him some really pointed questions. But the Think and Grow Rich book is chock full of things. He he met Andrew Carnegie. Andrew Carnegie gave him lessons of introduction to all his successful friends like Ford, Wanamaker, Woolworth, five presidents. You know, there were, there were J.P. Morgan. There were lots and lots and lots of people that Napoleon went in and interviewed. And, and uh, over a period of years, he developed this law of success. So he has some quotes um, throughout the book that are, that are so important. Great achievement is usually born of great sacrifice, never the result of self selfishness. Desire is the starting point of all achievement, not a hope, not a wish, but a keen pulsating desire which transcends everything. And we worry about failing. Are we going to fail? Well, he said, every adversity, every failure, every heartache carries with it the seed of an equal or greater benefit. And as you were talking about strategy, first comes thought, then the organization of that thought into ideas and plans, then the transformation of those plans into reality. The beginning, as you will observe, is in your imagination. Sometimes that's, um, that's where we stop. And here, here's the famous one. What the mind of man, it was, a, it was in the generation where every, everything was male dominant, but in the mind of a person, what the mind of a person can conceive and believe, it can achieve. So it all starts with the belief system. That's where it starts. But then that's 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 one percent inspiration, as I think it was Rockefeller, one percent inspiration, ninety percent perspiration. So we leverage leverage with other people. So I find people start out and don't have a team around them, and that's so key. Definite purpose, very clear, very clear plan, like you said. Um, bring something that's, that's valuable to the world, have a positive mental attitude, success, I mean, failure is not an option. And then four, surround yourself with people better than you. And what my friend Russell Dennis says is if you're the person, person if you're the best person on your team, you better run because you're not going anywhere. So Russell, um, you've given some great insights. These are great books. We'll list the books on the webpage for the nonprofit exchange. 
and we encourage people to read them. The links are to Amazon, and there's a few pennies that benefit Center Regional Leadership Foundation if you buy on our portal. It's an Amazon affiliate program. Uh, so Russell, thank you for pulling those books up and sharing some great wisdom today. Well, yes, it's been fun. We've been kicking this around. I'm glad that we got it done. Uh, when you come to the CentervisionLeadership.org site, at, as on the non, uh, as on the nonprofit exchange site, a big blue button in the corner says "Join." Come in, join. Uh, we have forum areas there, and we'd love to hear more about what you're reading, what's important to you, what you've learned uh, out of these books. Feel free to come in and comment. That's how we all learn. Think and grow rich is where the concept of the mastermind came from by surrounding yourself with people that are very wise. And so if I'm the smartest guy in the room, I run and <laughs> get into another room. I'm in the wrong room. Thank you all out there uh, for joining us. We are here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern on the Nonprofit Exchange, bringing you thought leaders from all over the country who are here to talk about business and how you can grow your impact, grow your nonprofit by applying some of the best practices. So we're always on the hunt for that. Uh, we've got a lot of great sponsors. So come back again at this time next week. If this isn't a time that works for you, no need to panic. We are on iTunes and Stitcher. You can go to either you prefer and subscribe to The Nonprofit Exchange, and you'll never miss a beat. So until next week, thank you for all of the difference you make out there. Keep on keeping on, and we look forward to seeing you on our next edition of The Nonprofit Exchange. <music>